This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Mark 10, Mark 10, 35 to 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him, that is Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. A storekeeper heard one of his salesmen say to a customer, No, ma'am. We haven't had any for some weeks now, and it doesn't look as if we'll be getting any soon. Well, horrified at what he was hearing, the owner of the store rushed over to the customer as she was walking out and said, this is, that isn't true, ma'am. Of course we'll have some soon. In fact, we placed an order for it a couple of weeks ago. And after she left, the store owner drew the salesman aside and said, never, never, never say that we don't have something. If we don't have it, say that we've ordered it and it's on its way. Now, what was it she was asking for? Rain, said the salesman. All right. <laughs> well, James and John approached Jesus this morning with quite a presumptuous request. Teacher, we want you to do whatever it is we ask of you. Wow. That's quite something. We want you to do whatever we ask of you. These guys don't aim low, right? They're just <laughs> going right for it. And you have to appreciate Jesus' restraint here. Instead of saying, are you kidding? Or why would I do that? He says, well, what is it you want me to do for you? He's willing to hear them out. And they say, more or less, when all is said and done, we want to be considered your top guys. I mean, we're your top guys, right? 
We're basically partners in this whole venture, aren't we, Jesus? Put in a good word upstairs, and we'll sit at your right and your left. Everybody will see how important we are. Now, if this text is starting to feel a little familiar, it was just the previous chapter where the disciples were arguing about who among them was the greatest. And Jesus had a response somewhat similar to what he's saying today. And so they were arguing, comparing about how many demons each had cast out, how many healings they had assisted Jesus with, how large their Instagram followers, followings were. And to be fair, James and John had the best selfies with Jesus. So, I mean... It, but seriously, why are they still going on about this, right? Why are they still on this? What is it about human beings that wants, uh, makes us want to be elevated, to be noticed, to feel important? Sounds fun. Sunday morning skateboarding. And I think it's because we all have a need to be valued. We all have a need to be valued. And we're each on a, a quest in some way to be significant, to matter. The story is told of the cyclist who had been training for a big race and wanted more than anything to win. On the day of the race, he waited with the others and felt that life was waiting in the hills. He couldn't quite say why, but he was sure a blessing was about to happen. As the gun went off, he could hear the rush of all the racers breathing like young horses in the morning. He had trained for months up and down sloping hills, cutting off seconds by wearing less and leaning into the curves. His legs were shanks of muscle. He often said, it's the closest thing to flying I know. On the second hill, the line thinned and he was nearing the front. They were slipping through the land like arcs of light riding the veins of the world. And by now, he was in the lead. And as he swept toward the wetlands, he was gaining time when suddenly a great blue heron took off right in front of him. massive, timeless wings open just in front of his handlebars. Its shadow covered him and seemed to open something he'd been chasing. The others were pumping closer, but he just stopped and stood there, straddling his bike, staring at what the great blue bird had opened by cutting through the sky. In years to come, Others would ask, what cost you the race? Wherever he was, he'd always look south, and once in a while, he'd say, I didn't lose the race. I left it. Sometimes we're so busy chasing something, something that we are determined will give us significance that our focus can become almost entirely inward. Now this isn't to say that we shouldn't seek to excel or that we shouldn't enter competitions to win, that we shouldn't try to 
do the best or be the best that we can in our vocations and passions, simply that we take care that it doesn't become all-consuming and become all about us. And the disciples are in that moment, aren't they, of inward focus. That moment of all this healing and good work is, is really great, Jesus, but, but man, you're going to be something one day. And this thing you're building is going to be big, and we want to be sure that we get credit when that happens. And their eyes are getting wide, dreaming about their own greatness. Well, Jesus applies the smelling salts, snaps his fingers, and he turns their gaze to something wider, larger, and more beautiful that they're already a part of. Like the cyclist who sees the great bird and suddenly all is put into a new and wider perspective. Like the words in our reading, realizing that we are a part, the words that Glennis read for us, realizing that we're a part of this vast, grand thing called creation with the squirrels and the osprey and the sharks and the trees and the oceans, the rivers and the mountains, as well as with those we're panhandling to have enough to eat. Those who are experiencing homelessness, those who are wrestling with identity and rejection, those who are forced to live in a land not their own, as well as the moon and the moons of Jupiter and all the stars. And the grandness of all of that can sometimes make our striving seem small. But when the other disciples learn what James and John have asked of Jesus, they get angry. But Jesus says, I understand this desire to matter. He says, but we don't matter by forcing our own way. By making others bend to our will, that's the way of domination. The way of domineering, the way that is too often the way of the earth. You want to matter, really? You want to be considered great? Then you must learn to be the servant of all. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just a sidebar here on that last part given our propensity to, to elevate ourselves, humans, or I should say Christians more specifically, have turned this phrase of Jesus, the Son of Man gave his life as a ransom for many, into support for a favorite theory of atonement. And that Jesus' coming was all about them and all about some sort of substitutionary atonement. But the Anglican scholar N.T. Wright says, we have, alas, belittled the cross, imagining it merely as a mechanism for getting us off the hook for our own petty naughtiness. We've made the cross too small. Stephen Bauma Prediger says that the cross wasn't just about you and me, but also about the white-tailed deer and red-headed woodpeckers, the blue whales and the green Belizean rainforests. Because it models the way of costly self-sacrifice for the good of the whole. It puts on display what the way of God is. 
And that that way is the converse of the way of domination. And we know what that way has done to both people and planet. That way of domination that has led to the subjugation and slavery of African Americans, the slaughter of Native Americans, the destruction of our natural environment, the race to see who could build the biggest and most powerful destructive weapons the fastest. And our desire to dominate could well lead to our destruction, and in some ways it, it already has. But Jesus says there is another way. In his book, The Unconquerable World, Jonathan Schell notes that peace, social justice, and defense of the environment are a cooperative triad to pit against the coercive imperial triad of war, economic exploitation, and environmental degradation. And what it will take to heal this world will be a shifting from this path of domination, the path that Jesus describes, this path of selfless service of others. The shift from the need to elevate the self toward working for the good of the wider whole. Shell says, lovers of freedom, lovers of social justice, disarmers, peacekeepers, civil disobeyers, defenders of democracy, civil rights activists, and lovers of the earth, all of them are legion in a single multi-form cause and gain strength by knowing each other, by taking encouragement from each other, and by joining together and pooling and combining their resources and efforts. It will take the whole to care for the whole. Ann Chamberlain was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1994. And as she came for her appointments and treatment at Mount Zion Clinical Cancer Center at the University of California, San Francisco, she was troubled as she went for her appointment by this paved concrete courtyard that except for a raised planter and a few neglected trees was unfurnished, unused, desolate kind of added to the despair that people would often feel coming in for appointments there. Why isn't this a garden? She asked her surgeon. Well, that one question led to a participatory process led by this surgeon who raised funds for a redesign. And Ann Chamberlain, who brought seeds for chemotherapy patients to plant in, to grow in paper cups and later plant in areas around the courtyard. And soon, another woman got word, a garden designer who had created gardens at other medical centers. And suddenly, a team had been created. And as this garden began to take shape, it ignited a series of changes across that wing of the medical center. Soon, rooms for exercise and yoga classes were added, offices for nutrition and spiritual counseling and a small cafe which opened out onto that garden for those who wanted to enjoy their food outside in the sunlight. 
And because of the place, the uniquely prominent place of where uh, this once neglected space was, now patients who were heading to difficult appointments see almost immediately, not this clinical and foreboding space, but a garden, a garden. They see people taking Tai Chi classes, creating art, sitting under the shade. And in fact, the corridor that was adjacent to this garden was once so dreadful, just kind of sterile, white, with some photographs of surgeons and, and donors looking rather serious. It was once so dreadful, it was dubbed dead man walking corridor. And now patients who entered that space because of someone who saw that she could make a difference for the good of the whole, now, instead of seeing that, they see the possibility of life. Isn't that what it's all about? Amen. Maybe so. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.